From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Hello and welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony on this Friday. So glad that you're with us. You give us an hour and we give you a better understanding of the world you live in from a biblical worldview. Quick reminder to register for free online for the Pray Vote Stand Summit that is coming up September 14th through the 16th in Atlanta, Georgia. Go to prayvotestand.org slash summit or call 877-372-2808. Look forward to seeing so many of you there. It is Friday in August. It's typically a slow season in the nation's capital, but not this time. Lots of news today. The affidavit that was used to obtain a search warrant for President Trump's house has been released. We'll talk about what was in it, what wasn't in it, and whether it should make us feel any better about that unprecedented raid. Also, now that Roe versus Wade has been overturned, the focus on chemical abortion has intensified. Why does the abortion industry like it so much? What are the risks involved? Is there anything the pro-life states can do to stop it? We'll talk about that as well at the end of our conversation during our worldview conversation. An article this week in Christianity Today carried the controversial title, Don't Run for School Board. Is that good advice or not? We'll break it down with you. Our headlines today, however, in response to an order from a federal judge, earlier today, the Department of Justice released a redacted version of the affidavit submitted for the search warrant for the raid on former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence. What did we learn from this? And also, despite all the news this week, we want to take a moment to pause and remember the 13 U.S. service members who were killed in Afghanistan a year ago today. The prayers of everyone here at Washington Watch are with their families. And joining me now to discuss, as we remember these patriots, is U.S. Representative Jim Banks, who serves in the U.S. Navy Reserve and was deployed to Afghanistan during Operation Enduring Freedom and Freedom's Sentinel. He also serves on three House committees, including the House Armed Services Committee, and he is chairman of the Republican Study Committee. He's from the 3rd Congressional District of Indiana. Congressman Banks, welcome to the show today. Hey, good to be with you. Thanks for being. Thanks for having me back. Well, there's a lot to cover. Uh, first, it's kind of a sad anniversary. One year ago today, 13 Americans lost their lives at the hand of a suicide bomber during the evacuation of Afghanistan. Uh, what are your thoughts one year later? Well, one year later, and still nobody has ever been held accountable for what that that drastic, um, deadly uh, event that happened. Uh, there hasn't been any uh, adequate oversight hearing or investigation on Capitol Hill about the about, about the incidents leading up to it. It was all completely avoidable. Remember, President Trump had us on a path to pull out of Afghanistan, but to keep a light footprint of special operation forces there to prevent the catastrophe that ended up happening. Instead, uh, the, the top military leaders and the commander in chief made decisions that shut down the Bagram airfield. Uh, which prevented us from evacuating Americans and all of that equipment that we left behind, and then the the the, uh, the deadly event that happened at the uh, at the gates of uh, Kabul International Airport there one year ago that killed 13 of our service members. So I, I guarantee you, when Republicans get back the majority after this midterm election, one of the very first things that we will do will be to hold investigations and oversight hearings on the Armed Services Committee that will dig in and, and, and demand answers to a lot of these questions. But so far, 
the Democrats who control the House and the Senate have been covering for Joe Biden and, uh, and, the, and the Biden administration. That's not going to last any longer when we get the majority back. Congressman Banks, this is undoubtedly a tragic anniversary. Those were tragic events. The fact is, however, in the armed services, tragedy happens. It's it's one of the risks that you assume when you put on the uniform and things like this happen. Congressional investigations don't, ar don't arise out of every military death. Why do you think this is a situation uh, that warrants that? Well, there are a lot of reasons to believe that the, the decisions that were made were, were, were made on, on a political basis by, by a president who was so hell-bent on on getting out of Afghanistan that he, he didn't have a responsible plan to do it and wanted to do it in a way that deviated from the plans that were set in place by the former president that he despised so much. So there, there are so many questions about the, the poor decisions, the lack of leadership and the political decisions that were made by President Biden and General Milley and others who were on the ground in those moments. And, and that does deserve, and one of the key functions, one of the key roles of, of the Congress is to provide oversight. And the House Armed Services Committee is the, the, the committee with the jurisdiction over the Pentagon that should provide that type of oversight. And I can tell you one year later, that has not happened. There, have, there has not been an, a, a response that's adequate that, that would dig into those those uh, questions. And, and, and as deadly and, and sad as it was losing those 13 service members. Uh, what we've seen happen in Afghanistan every day since, becoming a safe haven for ISIS-K, Al-Qaeda, and other terrorist groups again. Uh, the, the way that we pulled out has uh, also uh, changed the perception of America around the world uh, with our adversaries and our allies who look at America a lot different than what they looked at us before that deadly and tragic event a year ago. So that's why it deserves uh, more investigations and accountability, and that's what Republicans are going to bring when we get the majority back. Coincidentally, in a couple of Uber rides this week, I was driven around by someone from Afghanistan who recently had come to the country, and the stories that they tell about what life is like there for their family members is truly tragic, and it just it continues uh, to spiral, it seems, as a humanitarian crisis in that region. But uh, on the issue of accountability, uh, today, the redacted version of the affidavit that was used to search President Trump's home to get the warrant that was used to search President Trump's home was released. Did you have a chance to look at it? What's your reaction to what we learned or didn't learn? Well, emphasis on redacted, because mo most of the affidavit is uh, is blacked out. Uh, most of it is is uh, is not being given uh, proper uh, uh, transparency to the American people about this unprecedented event that happened a few weeks ago. It's never happened before in American history that they would raid the home of a chief political adversary who happens to be the former president of the United States of America. And to this day, Merrick Garland and Christopher Wray have not given an adequate response or a reason why. And that's why many of us wanted this affidavit to be made public. But then when we got our eyes on it, on it just a few minutes ago to see that most of it is marked out and redacted because they don't, they don't want to provide that transparency tells us something that's very fishy about all of this. So remember the track record of the DOJ under Joe Biden, even before the, high, the highly uh, politicized nature of their activities in recent years, the, the track record uh, means that we shouldn't give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, we should demand greater answers and transparency 
Yeah. And in this case, the, 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 the fact that they're not giving us that transparency tells us that there were probably very likely very political motivations for why they raided the former president's home. Uh, Congressman Banks, in the next segment, we're actually going to have a conversation with a former Department of Justice attorney who's going to provide his perspective on uh, what the affidavit contained as far as uh, what we can see. Uh, but do you expect, in light of all the redacted information, to learn anything more about the justification for this raid, or do we have all the information we're going to have? Well, not, uh, we don't have any information at all. I mean, at this point, even the re redacted affidavit doesn't have footnotes at the bottom that explains why they redacted all of the information that they did, which is the normal uh, procedure of, of a situation like this. So, but, but if there's ever been the right guy in the right place at the right time, it's going to be Jim Jordan chairing the House Judiciary Committee come, come the 1st of January when we take back the majority, because the Judiciary Committee has the oversight of the Department of Justice. So a minute ago, we talked about oversight of the Pentagon and, and the fallout of what happened in Afghanistan. That will happen in the Armed Services Committee. But the House Judiciary Committee, led by, by the next chairman, Jim Jordan, is going to hold hearings on this subject, not just the Mar-a-Lago raid by the FBI, but a lot of other uh, incidents that have occurred on, uh, on Joe Biden's watch for the Department of Justice in a very political nature. Those are going to be primetime committee hearings that you're going to want to watch uh, on TV and, and watch Jim Jordan demand and and, uh, and extract answers from uh, the, the top leaders of the DOJ and the FBI that are going to be forced to answer the questions that they don't want to answer today. Well, Congressman Banks, the existence of those hearings, of course, assume that Republicans take control of the House of Representatives in November. That has kind of been assumed for a while. But recently, Speaker Nancy Pelosi has uh, indicated that she's not sure that's going to happen. Let's play clip one. Republicans should be very, very, very scared this morning about their prospects. I had never believed that we would not hold the House. That's my mission, and that's what I hope to accomplish, and I have a plan to do it. What's your response to that, Congressman? Well, it is true. The, the majority is not going to be handed to us. We have to go out and fight for it and work hard to get, get out the vote in the midterm elections so that we can win back the House majority and take the gavel away from Nancy Pelosi and give it to Kevin McCarthy, the next speaker, and have Republicans like Jim Jordan chair important committees like the Judiciary Committee. There's so much at stake. And if anything, Nancy Pelosi is reminding our voters and our side that, that we can't take it for granted. We have to go out and work hard for it. But the fact of the matter is, is that the, the American people are sick and tired of the poor leadership that they've received from the Democrats, whether it's uh, higher gas prices, higher inflation, uh, the drug epidemic that's killing uh, 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 the leading fentanyl is now the leading cause of death of Americans my age because of the open border policies of this administration, the border crisis, the the uh, supply chain crisis, the world being turned upside down, you, the situation in Ukraine and China. I could go on and on and on. The activities in less than two years that have occurred that have made America less better off than what we were just a, just a couple of years ago when Donald Trump was in the White House. So. The American people are sick of it. I, I imagine this midterm election is going to be an indictment on their poor leadership and that of President Biden. But we have to go out and work for it. We can't take it for granted. Uh, the Democrats are going to do everything that they can uh, to keep the majority. And Pelosi is reminding us of that. So we have to keep that in mind. 
And we are, of course, talking to Congressman Jim Banks from Indiana. Um, despite the list of concerns that you listed there, President Biden actually sounds pretty confident. He's gotten some things through Congress recently that he wanted, and he thinks that these are some big accomplishments that are going to pay off. Let's play clip three. But we never gave up. We never gave in. And we're delivering for the American people now. And now, even our critics have been forced to acknowledge real progress. A record of big accomplishments, matched by few administrations in history. What's your response to that, Congressman? Well, you know, it is, a, again, a, a reminder from Joe Biden that what is at stake? I mean, from, from the moment that he was sworn into office on January 20th of 2021, the, the actions of this president and the party that is in total control of the federal government, they passed, they have passed bill after bill to sit America down a socialist path. And, and that, that, that's, that's what's at stake. They're uprooting the, the values and the foundation of this country that makes it the greatest country in the history of the world and turning it into a socialist country. And we can't let them do it. We can't get, let them get away with it any longer. Well, it is coming down to the wire, and uh, it is much closer than a lot of people thought it was going to be, it seems, uh, a few months ago. But uh, time will tell, and as always, the American people will determine what the outcome is, and motivation is going to have a lot to do with that. But Congressman Jim Banks, thanks so much for stopping by today. Thank you. When we come back, we are going to dig a bit deeper into the affidavit that led to the search of President Trump's Florida home. Should we feel better about what happened as a result of what we learned or worse? A former Department of Justice attorney will give us his perspective when we return here on Washington Watch. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, We are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with the prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. 
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. Reminder that the website is TonyPerkins.com, where you can find this and every episode of Washington Watch. Well, as we have discussed, the redacted version of the affidavit used to obtain a warrant for former President Trump former President Trump's home, excuse me, was unsealed today by order of a federal judge. What did this document reveal? And where will the investigation go from here? Returning to Washington Watch to help provide context to today's events is John Dacus. He's a former acting assistant attorney general for civil rights, the U.S. Department of Justice. John, good to see you today. Thanks for stopping by. Nice to be with you again, Joseph. Now, you had some time to look at this affidavit. From your perspective in the Department of Justice, your experience there, what did you learn? Well, Joseph, this is hot off the press, and uh, it's a 38-page document. About two-thirds of it is uh, utterly redacted. There are blank pages. Uh, I'm showing this for your viewers at home. I know the folks on the radio can't see it, but about two-thirds of it is simply blacked out. So um, there is not a whole lot to be learned from this. A couple things that do uh, takeaways are that Uh, When President Trump had produced, uh, returned 15 boxes of documents, there were uh, allegedly some classified documents in those uh, boxes of documents mingled in with newspaper articles and photos and and other materials. But for the most part, the Department of Justice has has, um, kept secret uh, its reasons for uh, uh, the search, which conducted at Mar-a-Lago. Are you surprised that the Department of Justice was successful in convincing the judge uh, to redact that information so the public was unable to see it? I'm a little surprised uh, about the extent of the redactions. And, uh, you know, Joseph, it's, it's a very unfair playing field here where the Department of Justice has been leaking, leaking, leaking information for uh, the past many weeks now. Um, uh, and uh, yet it goes then goes to the judge and says, well, we've got to keep all this material secret. So it's, it's a, a very um, unfair uh, situation at, at this point. And I am a little bit surprised that the judge so far has allowed uh, this the extent of redactions. I presume the uh, Trump attorneys will uh, continue to push back and ask for additional disclosure. 
I'm hoping you might be able to kind of explain the events here, because at first it seemed to be news when the judge determined, in light of the public interest in this case, that this affidavit should be released at all, that that came as something of a surprise to the Department of Justice. Then they went to the judge and said, well, if you're going to release it, here's some information we need to keep out. But as you're telling us, most of the relevant information that the public might have had interest in seems to be redacted. So does this represent a complete about face by the judge in this case, where he really has decided that the information the public might be interested in shouldn't be seen by the public? Well, Joseph, this is um, very heady stuff for a magistrate judge uh, in the U.S. Uh, to be thrown into. Um, and I think he's feeling his way here. Again, he can always order additional uh, disclosures of this information, and that may well happen. Again, it's, it's, it's a little rich here, Joseph, where we had the Attorney General uh, Merrick Garland uh, at his press conference say that the Department of Justice speaks through its pleadings, and then we had a steady stream of leaks from the Department of Justice uh, and FBI, apparently, to friendly media about uh, what they claimed they were finding uh, and the reasons for it. The raid. Now, the concern in all of this has been that the FBI conducted this raid for political purposes. Of the information that you did see, is there anything there that would lead you to believe uh, one way or another that, no, in fact, this was an appropriate conclusion based on the evidence that they had and they weren't necessarily acting politically? Or are we still just left to wonder? So, Joseph, two points. The first is that the FBI, uh, through its misconduct during the Russia collusion hoax, has greatly damaged its credibility. So for the FBI to essentially tell the American people now, hey, just trust us, doesn't wash. I, I was just looking at a Rasmussen poll that shows that a majority of Americans don't trust the FBI and uh, agreed with the statement that the FBI is being used um, by the Biden administration um, as its personal Gestapo. So the, the first issue is there's not a lot of trust for the FBI. And I'd remind uh, your listeners that one of the FBI former attorneys, Kevin Kleinsmith, uh, was convicted of using a perjured affidavit to obtain a FISA warrant to spy on the Trump campaign in the past. The situation we hear is yet another affidavit signed by an FBI person. Uh, are the American people going to be more apt to believe that, knowing what the FBI has done in the past? The second point I'd very much like to make, um, which I just don't understand, is what was the urgency? What was the emergency? What was uh, what we lawyers call the exigent circumstances that justified sending the FBI in uh, early in the morning um, to raid uh, Trump's uh, uh, building, to raid Trump's home um, with a very broad warrant? Um, why was the, the if the documents were there, if there are uh, classified documents there, they've been there for eight, over 18 months now. So why was there such an emergency that we had to send uh, yeah. armed uh, national police in to do that? Well, I can imagine the response from the Department of Justice might be, well, if it's classified information, we can't tell you what the emergency is, because then we would be disclosing uh, information that is classified. Is that not a reasonable response from the department? You know, that's fair enough, Joseph. But at some point, at some time in the future, uh, I think the FBI is going to need to explain why it took this unprecedented and incredible act of raiding a former president's home. Uh, you know, if you woke up in the morning and read in the paper 
uh, that a president of a country had used the national police force to raid his opponent's uh, home, the opposition party leader's home, you wouldn't think this was happening in America. So at some point, there needs to be an explanation of why, for example, the Department of Justice didn't go to a judge and said, right. look, here's the evidence we have that there's confidential information there that hasn't been returned. Uh, order that return versus... Yeah. John, in about 15 seconds, if you can, what do we expect next? Do we just wait for the Department of Justice to do something or not? I think what we will expect to see next is probably more leaking by the Department of Justice and a push by the uh, Trump side to have uh, more information released. John Dacus, thank you so much for stopping by today and uh, illuminating us. Thank you very much for having me again, Joseph. Undoubtedly, this is a story we will continue to follow, and I know that there are developments to come. Coming up next, we'll discuss the threat and dangers of chemical abortion. Why does the abortion industry like it so much, and is there anything we can do? We'll tell you about it when we come back. Stay with us here on Washington Watch. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony. So grateful that you are spending a few minutes with us today. Ever since the U.S. Supreme Court struck down the so-called right to abortion, both pro-life and pro-abortion activists have been strategizing how to deal with this brave new world without Roe. One emerging frontier for the future of abortion has to do with chemical abortions. Now, Joy Stockbauer is a policy analyst for FRC's Center for Human Dignity, and she has a new column titled Unsafe 
illegal and far from rare chemical abortions online black market. You can find this article on FRC's new Washington Stand news news outlet. If you haven't already bookmarked it, you should at WashingtonStand.com. But the author, Joy Stockbauer, joins me now to discuss the article. Joy, good to see you today. Thank you for having me. Well, for our listeners first who may not be aware, let's catch us up. What exactly do chemical abortion pills involve? Sure. So a chemical abortion is comprised of two specific drugs. The first one, mifeprestone, um, cuts off a woman's supply of the hormone progesterone. And so this essentially starves the unborn child to death. And then the second drug, misoprostol, forces the woman's uterus to experience intense contractions, which will then violently expel the unborn child from its mother's womb. Now, you talk about in this article something called Plan C. Why do you say this website is actually dangerous to women that it claims to serve? Sure. So Plan C is a website that will connect women to online abortion vendors that will sell them abortion pills without a prescription. And so this is dangerous to women on one hand because they have no way of verifying that the drugs that they are consuming are in fact the abortion drugs that they believe they are and not something even more dangerous. And on another hand, it's dangerous because when women use this website to work around the pro-life laws in their states, They likely will not visit a doctor to confirm that they are in fact pregnant, how far along they are in pregnancy, and whether or not they are experiencing an ectopic pregnancy, which may require emergency medical intervention. Well, I know as we pivot to chemical abortions, one of the reasons that it's becoming popular is because it's seen as less intrusive and therefore less dangerous than sur- surgical abortion. And of course, for abortion providers, it's certainly less expensive because they don't need a medical provider there to actually do an operation that a surgical abortion uh, would involve. But but is it true that it is safer and le- and more painless for women? No, this is absolutely untrue. Firstly, we know that every abortion is dangerous for the unborn child, and that's important to consider. However, chemical abortions are also very dangerous for the mother. Even many of these online abortion pill providers will readily claim and explain that over 50% of women who choose to undergo chemical abortions will experience severe pain. And so this is, on one hand, psychologically traumatizing for women. However, on the other hand, women have more serious things to be worried about than simply pain. Other complications that chemical abortion can cause include hemorrhaging, infection, retained fetal parts, and in some cases, even death. Now, Joy, you talk about the consequences of these chemical abortions and the the side effects of it. Are these a surprise to women? Are the providers of these drugs doing enough to make women aware of the risks in your judgment? Absolutely not. I think that the average American woman believes that because these drugs have been approved by the FDA, they are safe for consumption. However, because there is a lack of reporting requirements for complications, the FDA is not even able to actually ascertain whether or not these drugs are safe for women. Now, one criticism of these online pharmacies is that pimps and sex traffickers use them to hide their crimes. Is that actually happening? Yes, this is happening. Unfortunately, we know that the abortion industry has been aiding and abetting the sex trafficking industry for decades, and this is only becoming easier for them to do now that um, these online providers are selling 
drugs to women or to their pimps and traffickers without a prescription. So these websites have no way of verifying whether or not their client is in fact a woman seeking an abortion or whether it is a pimp or a trafficker who will force a woman to undergo an abortion, sometimes without her knowledge, often without her consent, um, in order to continue profiting off of her body. And that seems like an area that uh, policymakers can get involved with, because for obvious reasons, um, sending these drugs that that are, are lethal, at least to an unborn child, to people that we don't know who they are, in fact, and we haven't verified identity, has all sorts of problems. But in your article, again, which we can find at WashingtonStand.com, you refer to the chemical abortion market as a black market. Uh, why do you say that? I refer to it as a black market because it operates illegally. Um, it flies directly in the face of FDA regulations, which are put in place to try to protect women. Um, these regulations say that women need a prescription to receive these drugs, and these websites are offering these drugs without a prescription. Um, additionally, women are only recommended to take it through 10 weeks, but these websites will sell it to them at any point in gestation, some of them even recommending that women can take it safely up to 13 weeks, which is simply untrue. Joy, is that also true of the site like Plan C, which we discussed earlier? Is that a, a black market itself? So it's more of a connector website that will point women to the websites that are actually willing to sell them illegal drugs. Joy Stockbauer, we are sadly out of time, but this is a critical issue. We appreciate your, your research on this, and we know we will continue this conversation because it is, uh, as you point out, a new frontier in the battle over abortion. Thanks for your time today. Thank you for having me. And coming up, a recent article in Christianity Today carried the title, Don't Run for School Board. Is that good advice or not? That's the conversation we're going to have coming up in our Worldview Conversation with David Clausen. Stay with us here on Washington Watch. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. 
With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph back home sitting in for Tony on this Friday. So glad that you have joined us. Quick reminder, though we are in August and Congress is in recess, important legislative battle looms. Last month, the House passed a bill to codify the redefinition of marriage into federal law. Senator Schumer plans to take a vote on this issue in the Senate next month when they return from recess. They need to hear from you now. Lots of you and all of your friends, in order to communicate with your senators about this issue, visit frcaction.org slash marriage. Gives you all the information you need about the legislation as well as helps you connect with your U.S. senator on this critical issue. Again, that vote will be taking place in September when they return, which is why we need to be communicating with our senators now. Visit frcaction.org slash marriage to do so. Now, don't run for school board. That was the provocative headline for a recent article published by Christianity Today. The article, which I would encourage you to read, argues that personal discipleship is preferable to what the author describes as culture war battles, like running for school board. But do we have to choose between influencing the culture and discipling our children? Why would someone suggest we do? Joining me now to discuss all of it in our weekly worldview segment is David Clausen. He's the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview here at FRC. David, good to see you today. Hey, great to see you. Happy Friday, Joseph. Happy Friday. Now, this headline caught my attention because, of course, we here at FRC, um, we run school board boot camps, among other things, right, which is all around the country. Um, we've been encouraging people and equipping people and training people to run for school board. So when a headline published in Christianity Today says, don't run for school board, of course, that gets our attention. Now, let's review some of the reasons why someone might want to run for school board. Um, we want to remove 
pornography from curriculum or from the school libraries. And we've seen there's lots of documented cases of that. And I think that the word pornography applies appropriately and reasonably, uh, regardless of how you feel about school boards. Uh, we'd like to stop drag queens from attending school assemblies because we've seen lots of examples of that happening. Uh, we'd like to stop teachers from telling six-year-olds that they can change their gender if they want to. Uh, we'd like to keep boys out of the girls' locker room. We have multiple documented cases of sexual assaults taking places in that context when boys identify as girls go into women's facilities. All of those might motivate and in fact have motivated people to say, hey, enough is enough. I don't like this. I'm going to run for school board. It's not because it pays a lot of money, but because I feel like I need to do something about the status quo. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of that, is there? No, there's not, Joseph. And, you know, th this article, I think it's, it's worth looking at. I, like you said, I encourage folks to read uh, this uh, author's argument, Bonnie Christian. Uh, I, I don't know Bonnie, uh, but she, she makes this argument in Christianity Today. Now, to be fair to her, often articles like this, editors pick out the, the you know, the, the catchy right. headlines. Uh, but when you get into the meat of her argument, that essentially is the argument that she's making. Uh, she's writing, I think, largely to Christian parents and saying, you know, now that we're all going back to school, uh, one of the things that's going to return to the news is these viral sound bites of parents going to school boards and making the case for change. And yeah, if we had to really boil down the, the crux of her argument, her main argument is, is that discipleship in the home uh, should uh, far surpass uh, doing things like running for school board, that, that our, our energies, our attentions, uh, should be focused on discipleship. And, you know, Joseph, when I read that article, you know, I, I read that uh, her argument is like, well, why can't we do both? And I think that would be the appropriate response of, of thoughtful Christians uh, that we, we do both. Uh, the love of neighbor, uh, Christian faithfulness in the public square uh, requires us to do both, I would argue. Well, and I think that's fair, and I want to get into that. And I think that is many people's instinctive reaction, um, because the, the argument that she makes is essentially it's more important that you disciple your children. And, and the point that I think she makes that is that is fair and true and valid and that we need to take to take to heart is that the kind of change that we want to have in our kids' lives, the, the kind of people that they want to um, become, we want them to become, that's not going to happen at the school board level, right? We could have all the perfect books in the, in the school library. We could have the perfect curriculum, whatever that that is. But if we're not discipling them at home, they're not going to become the people that we want them to be, right? So it is true that that should be a priority, isn't it? No, it, it absolutely is. And what, what I would argue, and you and I have talked about this before, is that you know Christian parents need to view themselves as the primary disciple makers in their own homes. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, I think, is the text that uh, Christian parents ha have looked at for, for millennia for how to think about their responsibility in their own home. Uh, but my goodness, when we think about schools, I've heard you cite the statistic several times, Joseph, is that our children from K through 12th grade will spend 16,000 hours in those schools. And why in the world would we surrender those 16,000 hours, 16, hours to the moral revolutionaries? And an important point to make to, to Bonnie's argument, Joseph, is she seems very uh, hesitant, uh, Just and she, act, she uh, says downright that we shouldn't really be engaging in culture wars. She, she mentions the 1990s and the culture wars that seems to have left a bad uh, taste in her mouth. Uh, right. But the important point I think to make is those of us who are conservative evangelicals, 
we weren't the ones who initiated the so-called culture wars. It, it's the left, it's the more revolutionaries who want to introduce LGBT, gender-affirming indoctrinization as young as kindergarten. Uh, we're not the ones wanting to bring drag queens in to elementary schools. And, and so we didn't ask for the culture wars, but if we find ourselves in a culture war, I think as faithful Christians, uh, we need to engage, and we need to engage biblically, and we need to engage faithfully. And let's talk about that for a moment, because I think you characterize that correctly. You know, we go back 50 years, and they weren't having these problems at the school board, right? And so there was a lot of maybe even apathy and indifference from the church about what was going on in the schools at the school board level, because generally speaking, we felt like it was safe. Now, that undoubtedly has changed. And that's not changed because, as you say, we're not the ones trying to bring drag queens into the school. But the, the argument made here and the sentiment expressed specifically is not unique in the church. There's a lot of right. people who, who seem to express this idea that it would be better for us to just, um, to just let it go, let it slide, stop objecting, because then it will be more peaceful, right? We'll get along better with our neighbors if we just let the drag queens have their way and do their thing in the elementary school. Is that why is that sentiment so popular within the church today, in your opinion? Well, I think this kind of goes back to uh, even the way Christians have approached engaging in politics. So Wayne Grudem talks about, you know, we should this, this view that has kind of become ascendant that we do evangelism and not politics. And mm -hmm. in my view, I think Grudem's right when he says that's kind of an impoverished view uh, of thinking about the public square. You know, one of the things that has always guided my engagement, Joseph, is uh, the second great commandment that we are to uh, love our neighbor as ourself. And I think the impulse that, that many Christians feel uh, to, to enter into these public debates and to enter into these school board meetings is out of love of neighbor. Because as Christians, it's not just enough uh, to, to love and care for our own children. Um, we also want to, we, we also as Christians care for the children of everybody else. Uh, we care for the health of society. We care for the future of civilization. And, and so if we, you know, if the more revolutionaries had their way, uh, their vision of a fair and just society, I would argue, is antithetical uh, to what Christians would understand a th thriving and flourishing society would be. And, and so again, we're, we didn't uh, ask for these debates and to these skirmishes to start. Uh, but if we find ourselves in them, we have to engage, uh, again, out of love of neighbor and in the name of Christian faithfulness. Now, David, another way I want to address this is that we wouldn't use this argument uh, that we need to prioritize the discipleship of our children to discourage people from getting involved in other ministries. I will never see a headline that says, you know, don't feed the poor because you're spending too much time feeding the poor and therefore you're neglecting the discipleship of your children. Now, theoretically, that's possible. Someone could be so interested in feeding the poor that they have neglected the parenting and discipleship and love and care of their own children. And if we happened upon that situation, we we're not likely to say, hey, you need to really stop feeding the poor. We would say, you need to make sure you're discipling your children as well. And maybe you should take your children with you when you feed the poor. And then you can do that together and they can learn, watch you model how to live like Jesus, right? So do you think that it's fair that do Christians have a hard time seeing something like running for school board as a legitimate expression of their faith? I think so, uh, Joseph. I think some people, and again, I think sometimes we compartmentalize things in our lives. We'll say, okay, 
you know, reading our Bible and prayer and uh, talking about the Lord. Those are things we do kind of in our church bubble, our spiritual bubble. But then there's other things uh, that are secular, that, that are things out in the world. And I think that's where a, a Christian worldview shows us uh, that the Bible has principles and values that inform everything we do, everything that we engage in, every person that we meet. Uh, the biblical worldview helps us to realize that every sphere of human activity is under the authority and auspice of God, and, and we're required to act uh, faithfully in every sphere that we find ourselves in. And so I think as, as Christians, being a Christian is not just something we do on Sunday. It's something we also do Monday through Saturday as well. And so one of the reasons we engage in school board races, uh, the reason we vote, uh, the reason we engage really in any sort of politics is, is out of love of neighbor. It's yeah. because we are, we, are, we are to be the people who are uniquely Christian in all aspects of our life. And I would just encourage uh, what FRC has been doing for a while is, you know, school boards, you know, politics yeah. is local and, and school boards make a lot of decisions. You know, we're not far away from Loudoun County, Virginia, where decisions by the school board uh, to let biological boys into the intimate spaces like showers and locker rooms of biological females uh, led to female students getting raped. And so those bad policies had a direct effect on the well-being of uh, middle and high school girls. Uh, that's a, a big deal. And again, I, I think that's why as Christians, we need to be engaging in all spheres um, wherever we find ourselves. David, there's another statement here that I want to read to you and, and get your response to. Um, she says in the article, quote, if you have the time, wherewithal, and resources to run for school board, you're probably also capable of taking on the costs and inconveniences of other schooling options, end quote. And there she suggests that rather than run for school board, you're probably in a position to take your kids somewhere else. And if you can take your kids somewhere else that you're happier, you should be content. You don't need to run for school board. What's your reaction to that argument? Well, again, I want to be charitable to this author. I don't know this author uh, personally, but when I, when I read that part of the piece, Joseph, I, I think that's, I, it struck me as almost a, a naive and pretty much of a, an elitist comment to make. Uh, that, okay, well, some people might, you know, if they're really concerned about it, just take your kid out and put them in the private or, private or classical school or homeschool them. The vast majority, I know, you know, public schools are hemorrhaging students by the millions, but still, the vast majority of America's uh, children are in the public school system. And again, as Christians, we, don't, we shouldn't just care about our own children. Uh, we care about all the children uh, in, our, in our society and in our community. And so I, I would push back against that argument saying that is uh, not reaching the threshold of what I think Christian faithfulness requires. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that uh, we do not as Christians have the luxury of just only being concerned with our kids. If love of neighbor means anything, it means we stand up for other kids as well and other and our neighbor's children. And, and it does seem like a um, retreatist, which is an interesting way to, I think, perhaps describe that. But the instinct to say, well, my kids are fine. I have the means to take care of them. So, you know, whatever happens to your kids happens. I'm not going to worry about it. But where, how do we know? 
I mean, because I think what what the what she is concerned about is this idea that when you run for school board, you go yell at your school board members. Uh, you're, you're creating conflict. You're creating division. Uh, you do it as a Christian. That means you're making Christianity look bad in the eyes of people who are not Christians. It makes it more difficult for us to evangelize. So you should just be nice to people, let them have their way, and then tell them about Jesus once you're nice to them. How do we know if we are running for the school board for the wrong reasons? Yeah, I think with anything, Joseph, a verse that we talk about often in Ephesians 4, that we, we speak the truth in love. And I think if, you know, we can get excited about things and motivated to, to do certain things like run for school board, I think the posture of our heart is one, and that's between you and the Lord to make sure that you're doing this for the right reasons. You're doing this uh, as an expression of your love for God and as a, an expression of your love for neighbor. You know, uh, Joseph, I know you have a piece in the Washington Stand that's on frc.org slash worldview. Uh, talking about this, and one of the verses you referenced uh, that I think answers your question is in the verse in Jeremiah where uh, Jeremiah is talking to the exiles here in Babylon, and God doesn't say, you know, uh, don't really get involved in the culture or the society. He says, seek the welfare of the city, for in its welfare you will find your own welfare. And I think that kind of outlook ought to characterize the way Christians think about this issue and really a host of other issues. Yeah, I think that's well said, David. The, the fact is that uh, wherever we are, wherever our kids are going to school, and I'm on record saying that I, I hope every school board in America ends up being run by homeschool parents, right? So I am for discipling your kids, and I am for taking care of other people's children. Um, but And, and there is a, the, uh, the possibility that we do this in, in destructive and harmful ways, and there is the ability uh, to have our priorities out of whack, uh, and then we can neglect the the most important things in our lives in that particular season for things that are less important. But I do believe that uh, Christianity is a multitasking endeavor and that we can do all of the things that Jesus told us to do simultaneously. If it wasn't possible, uh, he wouldn't have asked us to do it. And final note, David, I, I will say we did invite the author, Abani Christian, to come on and discuss this with us. I actually wish uh, we could talk to the author rather than about the, these ideas, but uh, she declined to come on. So we've had a great conversation today and I appreciate you joining us for it. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me, Joseph. And friends, we thank you for your time. Hope this has been helpful to you. Uh, and remember, if God's calling you to run for school board, regardless of whether somebody else tells you not to. Look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, fear God and nothing else. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.